God has incredible purposes for his church. When you were saved, it wasn't just a little thing. It wasn't, well, I was once spiritually dead. I think in the Western world, we, in our um, cerebral thinking, we often forget that we were spiritually dead. That was our position before we knew Jesus. It wasn't, even if you're interested in spiritual things, no, the Bible makes it very clear, you were spiritually dead. You were not breathing spiritually at all. And I think in our, in our world, we kind of go, in our Western world, in our Western minds, we often think, well, yeah, yeah, that's fine, fine. Okay, I've been made alive in Christ. I've become a Christian. And now I start going to church. And I think we can quickly um, make small what it is that God's done, when what God has done is a huge, enormous, all-encompassing, life-changing, total reorientation of life, purpose, meaning. And I want to call us again today, right at the start of this year. It's not just about the new year. It's, it's, it's more about the moment, but hey, why not? We're at the start of a new year. But in this moment when I think for many of us, Church has been called into question. We've spent the last, I don't even know how long now, two years or so, online, nearly. In different ways, at different points. We've, we've no, through nobody's fault, we've not connected with each other in the way that we love to and need to. Let's be honest, we need one another. And we've lost so much because of it. Uh, there's a cost, there's a, there's a challenge that, that COVID has presented to us that has robbed us of things. And we do get robbed of things, by the way, because remember, we have an enemy who loves, who's a thief, who loves to come and steal and rob and destroy. And I think through that process, for many of us, we've, as we've kind of become accustomed to, it's a Sunday at home, it's a Sunday not, I can, I can make it easy um, because it's online, I can just kind of meet with God's people, even in my bed. I mean, who, go back a few years Whoever thought you'd meet with God's people in your bed? Um, let's have an honest show of hands for a moment. Who met with God's people whilst in bed over the last two years? Oh, thank you. Well, there is one. No shame. Thank you for being honest. <laughs> um, but I'm aware that, that the reality of the last two years has an attritional effect on our attitudes, our heart towards one another, our heart and commitment and our devotion to one another in a way that I think for many of us has called into question, well, do I really need the church? I know I need Jesus because he saved me. I just want to remind you of what he's doing in you. He hasn't just saved you just to get you into heaven. Listen to this. In Ezekiel 36, I'll call you by name is what God's done. I chose you. I've appointed you. I've called you mine. I've invited you to see my son. It doesn't actually say it's in Ezekiel. This is a build up. And you'll meet my son. And my spirit will open your eyes to behold his love and his beauty and his majesty and his sacrifice and the hope and life and future and the forgiveness and reconciliation and adoption that's found in him. My spirit will open your eyes to see Jesus and when you see him and behold him and declare him Lord and Savior, when you're made spiritually alive in Christ, I will give you a new heart, 
and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. You've got to do one of those annoying things that you don't like doing. You've got to turn to the person next to you and say, God has put his spirit in you. And now tell them again. <laughs> and because apparently threes work better, do it again. <laughs> and that, Ezekiel says, will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What God has done through Christ in saving and rescuing you is not just a small Thing, it is a massive thing. You are now spiritually alive. As we heard a moment ago, you are full of the very presence of God. We're going to see that again in a moment. And you've been adopted into God's family. And that gets worked out in and through the local church. You've got God's global family, the church. But that gets worked out in many rooms, bigger and smaller, and many like this, full of people from different backgrounds, different experiences called God's family, the church. But I think what's happened over the last two years is, as we've got used to not meeting, and we've got used to sitting with ourselves, and maybe just one or two who are close to us and more like us, we don't have the irritations of family, the hassle of getting up early to serve, to, to, to commit to one another. It's been, in some senses, as hard as it was from a from a devotion to one another, it's been quite an easy season. It's been quite a low cost, but I think it's caused us to call into question, do I really need to commit myself to the local church? And for some, I think we've become negative of the church. I'm not just talking about gateway, although, of course, that's true. I'm saying of the church in its expression of gathering, and we're like, I don't, I don't need that. For others, I think we've made following God and life and faith about sideways, side issues over the last season. And I want to call us through this passage this morning to have a renewed vision for God's church. Because everything, we've got to be wise, because everything right now is eroding uh, a sense of togetherness, belonging, commitment, devotion, because I, I'm, I don't want to beat you up with this, but the reality is more people are coming less frequently as we gather on Sundays. And I know Sundays is just one, one aspect of who we are, but it is a thermometer that shows where we are. And the reality is more people are coming less frequently. That was actually happening before the pandemic, but the pandemic has sped up that process. And throughout the pandemic, like many, many churches, most churches, I would say, less people have come back to gather with God's people through the pandemic. It's been a season where people have disappeared, slipped through the nets, just not reappeared for all kinds of reasons. And that's just the reality of where we are. And actually, what's, where we are as a church, we remember we brought two sites back into one, People have moved on like pretty much every church. We're going through a season of change. And I want to start by just saying, I love this church. Al said it a few weeks ago as we gathered. I love you guys. 
I love being part of this family. But I want to call us right now, today, to have a deeper, higher commitment to one another. I'm not talking about the name Gateway. I'm saying as an expression of God's people, the church, and all the expectations that we're going to begin to see as we move on in Ephesians over the coming weeks, that we would have a deeper commitment to one another, a greater love for one another, a higher view of this vehicle called the church that we're going to read about in just a minute, because faith in the church, I don't mean saving faith, I mean just love for the church is being eroded across the world. And so we have to be aware of the current and the flow of culture around us, even not just the wider culture, I mean even within the church culture. And we've got to make a stand and say, no, we're going to love one another because Jesus loves his church. Because his plan was the church, because he purchased the church through his own death. And because his plan for the ends of the earth, crazy as it seems, is through a bunch of people like you and me working out life and faith in local families like this. Encouraging one another to remember those people who've never even heard the gospel. And so I want to provoke us this morning with this passage in Ephesians 3. I don't want it to be heavy. Sorry if that sounds heavy. But I feel in the moment it's so easy to be discouraged. And I know that myself both as a follower of Jesus, as a member of this church, and as a leader. Boy, is it a season of discouragement in all kinds of ways. But as I've read and just been in Ephesians 3, I felt God renew my passion for us here, for God's plan for his church. And I want to call us to that this morning. So, let's go. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says this, for this reason, and if you want to know what the reason is, you only got to jump back and see the headings, for this reason that you, Christian, have been made alive with Christ, and that you've been reconciled into this body, for this reason, because of God's Blessing upon your life because of all that God has done in and through Christ. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. When Paul was writing this letter, by the way, he was in prison. Um, You can read that story back in Acts. He was in prison, probably in Rome. But he's saying, that might be my earthly status, but actually I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul was so enamored with Jesus Remember one time he hated God in Christ. He hated the work of Jesus. And then he encountered him and he loved him. And he's so, his life, Paul would say, my life was so transformed that now I'm a prisoner for Christ. For the sake of you Gentiles, that is anyone who's not a Jew. And he's about to pray for them in verse 14. We'll get there another week. He's about to pray for them, but fortunately, Paul is one of those guys who likes to just, a thought comes into his head and he has to follow it down. He has to kind of go back over the same ground again. He's, I'm a prisoner for Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. And now I'm going to pray. No, hold on a moment. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Before I pray, Paul's saying, you know that I've been given a a mission, a task, a calling upon my life to make known God's 
grace to you Gentiles. Surely you've heard about that, he's saying. There'll be many There'll be many in the church in Ephesus at this point that Paul's writing who wouldn't have known Paul when he planted the church. There'll be many who would, who would not have met him personally, but he's saying, surely you've heard. Surely you've heard. I've been given a, a task, a role to make known the mystery that was made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly in the past two chapters. I'm just reminding you of that again, he says. And then in reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Surely you know that. And he's saying, you, as you read this, you now get insight into this. And so what's the, three, what's the word that appeared three times in that passage? Somebody. There may be more than one word that appeared three times, actually. But the key word that appeared three times. Anybody? Mystery. Thank you, Stuart. Mystery. This mystery made known. The mystery of Christ. The mystery that through the gospel, the Gentiles are now two heirs together with Christ Jesus. Before we go on, I just want to make it clear. When we think mystery, we think Sherlock Holmes and puzzles. I love puzzles. And when we think mystery, we think it's a a thing that needs to be solved, a thing that needs to be tasked, something much like this, Phil. Can you go for it? The magic eye. Remember the 90s, anybody? And magic eye books and posters. Emma said she spent the whole of like year seven or eight reading a magic eye book. Um, Anybody, can you do it? Can anybody actually do magic eye pictures here? Oh, what is wrong with everybody? Can anybody see what it is? It's probably quite hard, I imagine. Right, we haven't got time for that. I'll tell you what it is. It is a robot standing on a surfboard rocket, riding around, surfing the rings of Saturn. Um, I kid you not. And I promise I didn't cheat. I found it. Um, Anyway, we often think of mysteries like that. It's something that's cryptic, something something that we need to work out and need to solve. But that is not how the Bible talks about that word mystery at all. When the Bible uses the word, when Paul here writes mystery, 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 the mystery made known, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of through the gospel, he's not saying it's a puzzle that was needing to be solved. He was saying it's something that was once hidden that has now been made known. There was something in God eternal, a plan and a purpose that was once hidden in God. A plan, as we read in verse 6, a plan that through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ, the Gentiles are now heirs together with Israel, members of one body and sharers together in the promise, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Paul is saying that this once was a mystery. It was something that was hidden that nobody knew other than God himself. 
But he's saying now through Christ that has been made known. God's plan, God's purpose has been revealed in and through Christ. What an amazing mystery. And that's good news, by the way, for you and I who are not Jewish by birth. Because we were outside the promises of God. We were excluded. We were foreigners and strangers to the promises and purposes of God that he had given to Abraham's seed. We were dead. It's good news. And this mystery is not a magic eye picture that you need to solve. It's not a Sherlock Holmes case that needs to be solved It is taking and receiving the revelation of God that Christ Jesus has made a way for Jew and Gentile to become one new humanity in his family, this new body on earth, this new humanity, the church. That's the mystery. That's who you are. That's what we are here this morning. That is what is dotted right across this town, whether in people's lounges or in rooms like this. The church. The mystery revealed. And Paul says this. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. So when... You became a follower of Jesus and you placed your hope in Jesus' offer of eternal life. Reconciliation with God, friendship with God, forgiveness for sin. The gospel that you received is one of the boundless riches of Christ. I think in this season of COVID that we need to remind one another God is not scraping around for resource. The promises of Jesus haven't somehow dissipated through this season. The church has faced ups and downs and challenges and seasons of of unrest and and persecution and uh, disruption throughout its history. This moment is not unknown to the church. It's unknown to us. This is a unique moment for us, but not the church global and historical. The church historically has known moments and seasons of unrest and disruption. And I think we need to remind ourselves that the gospel that we've received tells us of the boundless riches of Christ. That now you, Gentile, you who are not Jewish by birth, and if you are Jewish by birth, great to have you here, but if you're not Jewish by birth, you now have also in Christ received the boundless riches of God in Christ Jesus. And that is every spiritual blessing. Everything that belongs, Paul spoke about that earlier in this letter, didn't he? Every spiritual blessing. He prayed for that for the church. That's yours in Christ. He prays that would be real and something of substance among you. But the boundless riches of Christ are now yes and amen in God for his people, the church. So what's true for Jesus is true for you. That Jesus is loved by the Father, so too are you, Christian. That Jesus is not rocked by this moment that we're going through. I want to tell you, you do not need to worry about this moment. God knows what you need. He knows the resource you need. He is not 
lacking anything. I don't just mean that as a prosperity gospel. I mean we are prone to worry as people. There's a reason that Jesus said, do not worry. Because boy, do we worry. Boy, do we try and solve things. No, no, no. The boundless riches of Christ are yours, church. Good. And Paul says, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. He knows how to make it sound exciting, doesn't he? Um, Which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. I'm not going to ask the question of why did God keep it hidden for ages past, but when you think about it, there was lots of times that throughout Scripture we see God's people were pointed towards this truth that, that one day God would have a people of, of uh, many nations. That was God's promise to Abraham, wasn't it? I'll bless um, the nations through you. Israel was to be a light to the nations of the world. And there were many points in Scripture where you could point to and say, well, surely God there is telling Israel, he's telling the nations of the world his plan and purpose for the nations of the world that go beyond Israel. And you say, well, yes, in one sense that's true. It is there, but people did not see it. It hadn't been revealed to them as it was ultimately in Jesus. And here's why I want to call us to renew our passion for the church of Jesus. I'm not just talking, please hear my heart, I'm not just saying, oh, guys, can you try a bit harder and like Gateway a bit more, like one another a bit more, come on, we need some more people serving. That's not, it's not a sales pitch for Gateway. I'm saying a passion for the church of Jesus. This is why I want to call us to it, because God had an intention, a plan, a purpose that goes beyond saving you one day that you get to spend eternity with him in glory, but between now and then, you've got to, the commitment is this, that you've got to go to church every Sunday. I think that's how many of us think. Well, I'm Christian. I've become a Christian. Now what I do is go to church. And if I'm being honest, I think the way that for a long time, maybe for the last generation or even longer, we've begun to shape church to make it nice to come to church. Say, please come. Please, please help us in what we're about. And we, we try and make it nice for people to join. I want to tell you, that we see this in a moment, that when you become a, a follower of Jesus, you become part of his church. And the enemy of God, Satan and demonic forces, hate God. They hate this mystery that's been revealed, and they would do anything they can to silence it and shut it down. And if you are just saying, well, I've become a Christian, now I go to church, that's my expectation. Right now, today, it's a moment of reset for you. And I want to tell you what Paul says the purpose is. That God's intent was that now, now, through the church, the manifold wisdom, the multicolored, the multifaceted wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That manifold wisdom in the Greek Old Testament. It's the same word as spoken of Joseph's multicolored um, robe that he wore. It's the same word. And it's interesting, isn't it, that God sent Joseph to save the peoples of the earth through the famine, from starvation. But God, his manifold wisdom upon Christ, 
was to save a people from every tribe and tongue and nation, historic, future, forever and ever. Not just from a, a famine on earth, but from a spiritual death. That's the manifold wisdom of God. Church, hear this. And look at each other as I say this. Look around, literally look at somebody else. You are the manifold wisdom of God. What? You're the manifold wisdom of God. Ultimately, yes, in Christ, in his taking on flesh, living among us, fulfilling what Israel couldn't as a light to the nations of the world, dying the death we deserve, being buried in a tomb and being raised to life. Yes, ultimately, God is, uh, Jesus is the ultimate shining example of the wisdom of God. Yes, but, but here Paul is saying, but you, church, are the manifold wisdom of God. And I think that for many of us, we've dragged ourselves back to church over this last season. We've dragged ourselves back into this building on a Sunday. Low expectation, low sense of commitment. I'll go sometimes. It's not, I'm not trying to make it about Sunday, but it shows something. It's the equivalent of our bank accounts. If you want to know how you value money, you look at somebody's bank account. If you want to know what's important to that person, you look at their bank account. If you want to know whether the church is important to people, hear my heart on this, but so often you can see a people bothering. Is there a devotion to one another? A passion for one another? A desire to build one another up and strengthen one another? Now, please don't feel beat up in that. I, like you, I have gone up and down with my love for the church over this last season. But it's something we've got to get hold of by faith again and renew our love for God's people. Because this verse tells us that we are the manifold wisdom of God on display. Not just, yes, to the world around us in the way we love one another, which is why Paul is about to change track and say, look, this is what's happened. This is what God's, first half of Ephesians, remember, this is what God's done. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. This is how he's rescued and blessed and saved and, and built together this new family. God's done that. Now, in light of that, you, the church, must live like this. That's where we're going as we move into chapter 4. But it, right here, he's saying the manifold wisdom of God. Church, you are the wisdom of God on display, not just to the world around us, but to the heavenly authorities, demonic forces of evil who hate the wisdom of God. To the angelic hosts of heaven, You're the wisdom of God. You're displaying it. You're putting it on display. And so to say, well, I'm not really bothered about the church. I'm not really bothered about the local church. If this last season has taught me anything, it's taught me that, well, I'll go sometimes. Is not to understand God's purpose for you. And if COVID has taught us anything in the West, it's taught us that individualism and isolation is not good for the human soul. And that God certainly does have a plan and purpose for your life, and it's called his family, where you're encouraging one another to know him and worship him and glorify him. But the rulers in the heavenly realms, the heavenly council, angelic hosts, demonic forces, 
They look at the church and they say, oh, wow. The wisdom of God. And the angels celebrate. And the demonic forces hate it. And do anything they can by any means to lie and try and erode your passion for God's purpose in your life. And so if you're in this moment of life kind of going, we're just re-figuring out life for us. We're just asking some deep existential questions of, do we go there on holiday? I'm guilty, by the way, we've just done the holiday thing. But are we going there on holiday? Yeah, let's have a few more Sundays off this year. Let's go to the beach more often. Let's make sure. They're not, they're not bad things. Hear my heart. But the enemy will use any means he can to erode your passion for God's purpose, which is to say, my church, the manifold wisdom of God on display. And we've got to be alert to that. Paul says, this is according to God's eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In Christ, through faith in him, we may approach God with confidence and freedom. Church isn't religion. It's God's family where we are called to be devoted to one another, devoted to his word, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another to build each other up, to encourage each other in moments of discouragement. You see, when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, there wasn't any one challenge. They weren't in a moment of COVID. They weren't in a moment of persecution in particular. They were just existing in a city full of commerce and industry and wealth and temples and pagan worship of pagan gods and all kinds of very strange practices. It was no different. They were facing challenges. But Paul's writing not to address any one of those in particular. He's writing because he says, I know there's going to, you're going well at the moment, church in Ephesus. But I know there's going to be seasons for you as my people, for you in, in your local church families, even personally, that you go through where life hits the fan. You know, it hits the fan and makes a mess. Life gets hard at points. He's saying, I know that's going to happen. And he's saying that because it's happened to him. He's saying, I'm a prisoner right now for Christ. And he finishes by saying this, but don't be discouraged because of my sufferings for you because it's for your glory. I want to tell you, the church, when it's healthy and vibrant and full of the life and love of God towards one another... It isn't discouraged. I think we've gone to a, through a season of discouragement. And I want to call us to be encouraged because of, not because, hey, look, we're all back in the room. That's, that's great, by the way. But I want us to be encouraged because the church is God's manifold wisdom, his eternal purpose to gather to himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and language for his glory. And if you're kind of saying, but we've just been doing this for the last number of months before Christmas, it's because God wants you to get it in your head that you are here for purpose. It doesn't have to be in this family that in gateway in that sense, but the church committed to a local group of God's people. And so in closing, I just want to read uh, an extract from Francis Chan's book. 
multiply. And he says this. Just, I just want to invite us, just as I read this, God, I want to pray that today you would breathe on us afresh by your spirit with a passion for your glory. That we, your people, would love your glory and want to honor you in the way that we love and live. That's why Paul's going to very soon say, therefore, in light of what God's done, live like this. And Lord, I pray right now, I pray that, Lord, none of us would be feeling beaten up, but that we would renew our passion for your glory and for your people. Lord, this is your wisdom. This is your plan. And so, Lord, we choose to align ourselves to it again this morning. Lord, we choose to take our eyes off the things that are seen in this world and fix our eyes on the things that are unseen in your purposes in the heavens. Francis Chan says this, let's make sure that we are not guilty of belittling God's church in any way. It's not a social club. It's not a building. And it's not an option. It's always nice when somebody else says it for you. The church is life and death. The church is God's strategy for reaching our world. What we do inside the church matters. He goes on to say, we tend to equate church life with events and programs, but these are not what makes a church. Programs are helpful to the extent that they facilitate life and mission of the church, but we can't equate well-attended events with the health of the church. I want to be honest. I think that for myself, us, Gateway, church in the West, I think we've equated the health of the local church with how, is it, how many people were there? What was the vibe like? God cares about the way we love each other and the way we pursue his mission. The church is a group of redeemed people that live and serve together in such a way that their lives and communities are transformed. Let me just put this challenge to you as you go in just a moment. Is your life being transformed by the work of Christ? Are you continuing to grow in Christ-likeness, in his image, becoming more and more like him? What matters, Francis Chan says, is your interaction with the people of, that God has placed in your life. If you are not connected with other Christians, serving and being served, challenged or challenging and being challenged then you are not living as he desires and the church is not functioning as he intended. Finishes by saying this, despite the clear priority that the Bible puts on believers being part of a local church, many followers of Christ try to live the Christian life apart from serious personal commitment to a local church. The reasons are many. We are self-reliant, self-sufficient, and the kind of mutual interdependence and even submission and accountability to others that the Bible talks about frightens us, he says. We are often indecisive, hopping from one church to another, looking for the perfect place and the perfect people that suits me. Ouch. Many of us have been hurt in the past by things that have happened to 
or around us in the church. And others of us simply don't see the importance of being specifically connected to a local church. But the Bible says the local church is important. I want to tell you, you are important. Your commitment to one another is important. Your love towards one another is important. The way you express your faith and challenge and let people challenge you and call one another on is important because it matters for the purposes of God in a world that is very hurt and very fractured and very confused. God's people. The church is his message, his vehicle of hope because we carry the good news of our Messiah, Christ, crucified. And so, hear my heart in this. Please don't just go to church because you're a Christian. Belong. Give yourselves fully to a family of God's people. And so, as Al said, if you're looking for a church because you're new to the area, not just because you're a church hopper, if you're a church hopper, go back home. If you're looking for a church because you're new to the area or you're new to faith, we would love to just meet you and greet you and let you know a bit more about who we are, whenever it was that Al said, um, soon, um, next week. No, soon. Um, but I want to call us in this moment, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Because it happens. But instead, renew your love for God's purposes. Not because it's easy. Because it isn't. Because in fact, families are costly. They're tough. They go through all kinds of seasons. But because there is nothing like a healthy, functioning gathering of God's local community when it's healthy and deeply committed to one another, loving God, loving one another, knowing that we're not just here as a club, but that we have a mission and a purpose, knowing that even the angelic hosts and demonic forces are looking at us and going, wow, that's God's wisdom on display. There's nothing like it on earth. And God has added you into it. And so don't belittle it in this season in your heart. Catch your thinking. Catch one another, challenge one another, saying, come on, I'm going to give myself to God's people afresh in this season. So let's pray and we'll finish. Oh my goodness, sorry everyone. Father, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your grace and your love in our life. We thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us and made us alive in Christ. You've given us hope and a future here and now and for all eternity. And Lord, our response is thank you. As we sung earlier, God, you've done great things. And our response is, thank you, O oh God. Thank you, O oh God. And Lord, today we commit ourselves afresh to you by saying we love your plans and your purposes. We love your work of salvation. We love the, the grace of God in our lives that compels us towards you. And we say, Lord, would you renew in us today a deep love for your people, for your vehicle, of telling the nations of the abundant riches of Christ and the hope of salvation and the hope of family and healing and forgiveness and reconciliation. 
And so we pray for us as a local church family here. We pray, Lord, bless us and keep us. Pour your spirit out upon us. It's why Paul is about to start praying for them. And we say, bless us, O God. Lord, I just pray for Freshbrook Church. Um, last week as they transitioned leadership from John Edmonds to Dave Davison, we just pray your grace on that uh, local family of yours, Lord. We pray, Lord, uh, for uh, Chris and Dave in this season as they take on leadership. Lord, we just pray your blessing upon them. Lord, we pray, would you bless Freshbrook today? Bless that community, the wider community, because of your plans and your purposes for, for that picture of your wisdom, for that uh, imaging of your wisdom into that community, Lord. We bless them in your name. But Lord, for each one here today, we pray, Lord, fill us with your spirit that we might go from here, not just as people who went to church on Sunday, but as people who met with God's people for God's purposes in our generation. Amen.